and welcome to We Bought a Mic. Or should I say, We Bought an American West Coast sex work prolific industry of sexual art. I think you, I don't should, think say you should say that. Yeah, you should say the I, first one. Yeah. I'm Ernest. Or uh, Dooley Doolittle. Whoa, that, I didn't even realize that was going to be a, 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 a small, a little dick joke, but that's not, that, not indicative of the real thing. <clears throat> ladies you're you're um no I yeah know if i believe that your boogie nights porn name is just your name with uh two d's instead of your initial so i'm drew Dietzen, <laughs> for example well i'm dean Kunk here dean Cumshot, as the ladies call me um here for another great pod uh, i'm changing my name to the the colombian wow. stallion i'm starting <laughs> oh. colombians man Ooh, believe me, Sylvester Stallone will come up during this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. From now on, only refer to me as the Stallion. Um, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to have to ignore you <laughs> so I do not say your name for the remainder of this podcast. Today we're talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights. Um, inspired a little bit by our Magnolia talk a couple of weeks ago you know, in these times of no movie releases, thinking what kind of movies can we go back through some of our beloved directors that uh, are a little bit of a blind spot to us. And we did Magnolia, and now we're going one step back. Uh, two years before Magnolia was Boogie Nights. Yeah, going in the order that no one has ever recommended. <laughs> Uh, three hosts of a film podcast have decided to catch up on the best movies that there are. Finally, after very, years of making a, a film podcast. Yeah, very original from that respect. Um, I think that we might be the first podcast to ever do this. Although I do think that's funny that um, somehow we went from Magnolia, in going from Magnolia to Boogie Nights, we went from a movie that uh, despite it being about sex workers that includes mass drug addiction, this is somehow less cokey of a movie than Magnolia. Um, is it? But it's pretty I cokey. think so. I don't know. Uh, Magnolia might have been the cokiest movie that I have ever seen. Yeah, Magnolia is more like the product of coke. Yeah. Uh, Boogie Nights has more coke in it. Magnolia is the last act of Boogie Nights. <laughs> you know how in movies they usually snort like vitamin b like crushed up vitamin b i wonder if on this movie like they were snorting real cocaine so i have uh one of my notes that i have here is that is a hundred percent real cocaine at the pool scene <laughs> um without a doubt in my mind they are just going all in right now there's some scenes where i was like these people look fucked up they <laughs> look real real fucked up coked out as hell and we know for a fact that PTA was a big cokehead in the 90s. As uh, were most people. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, where was that line between pre-production, production, onset, offset? You know, where do you draw that line? Where do you snort that line? I heard that Burt Reynolds actually 
he famously like did not get along with PTA on the side of this movie. I heard it's because his character doesn't do cocaine and he was really upset by that. <laughs> That's the reason why. Yeah. He was like, the only on. sober one. Fucking yeah. give me a hit, bro. No, your character would never. He's the director. So, I mean, I, I guess we, we'll get into spoilers pretty quick on this discussion uh, for this movie that is 23 years old. If you have not seen it, like some of us here, in the wee bottom mic. So I um, thought that I had seen this movie. I I said I don't know if I said this on pod, but I thought I had remember seeing it in one of my film classes in college. Um, and after watching it today, I realized that I had not watched it. I think I only had seen the opening tracking shot, which is famous. And then there's another tracking shot that happens in the pivotal turning midpoint of the movie that we'll get to. And I think that the film class only showed those two scenes or those two shots. And I had remembered it in my head as me having seen Boogie Nights and just not, and I thought that I had just forgotten the rest of the movie when in reality, I just hadn't seen the rest of the movie. So it was very, very pleasing experience to really sit down and for real experience, truly one of the best movies I've ever seen. Yeah, definitely. One of the probably the 15 uh, objectively and subjectively best movies I've seen in my whole life. Yeah. And we can say this for the towards the end of the pod. uh, But I'm curious to hear where this where this falls into everybody's uh, PTA ranking. Um, But we should talk about the movie first. So, like I said, 1997, this is his big kind of coming out party. He had done yeah, his, Part 8 before. Yeah, his second feature, but really his uh, first, like, big fucking feature. Yeah, he has talked about before, like, Part 8 is his directorial debut, but uh, he is very bitter towards that movie because that movie pretty much got ripped out of his hands by the studio at the time. Like, they pretty much, he, like, had this whole idea for making this very edgy gambling movie and then the studio is like all right we have to tone that back a little bit but he wrote a uh i believe it's a short story called um the dirk diggler story uh that this that he based his own film off of um it's it's a short film uh 32 minutes long it was like a mockumentary short in 1988 wow i didn't know that directed um so somebody, I guess it was, what, who is this, New Line Cinema that made this film? Um, I believe that's correct. Yeah. 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 They, uh, they just saw this thing and were like, all right, we have to just give this guy, open up the doors for him with this new hotshot, uh, Marky Mark. Uh, we don't know if he has any acting talents, but let's just throw him yeah. in here. because. And now collectively, we still don't know. <laughs> we still don't know if Marky Mark is actually good. Um, I lean towards no. But uh, this might be Apex Mountain for Marky Mark. I think it a hundred percent is uh, for he's Mark genuinely great in this movie. And Same with Departed; he's incredible. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He is good in Departed, but he th- he's very good in the other guys as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, this <laughs> is his. This is his movie. You know? Yeah, no. I, I mean, this is the movie that it was like, oh, this guy's going to be around for the next twenty years, and then he was. I, I mean, I am curious. We'll get into it more in spoilers on uh, who your personal favorite character was of this movie. Because I also think that this is, for me, I know it's about Dirk Diggler. He is 
the main source of the story, but I also think that this is so much about the Burt Reynolds character, about um, Jack Horner. Yeah. And he has all of the main, like the big themes about this movie, about uh, the film and everything. And the way that those resonate now are perfect about like the death of film and trying to show like real artistry in this time where everyone else in your business is just putting out schlock after schlock that and just trying to make something that you can be known for one day. I think I really, really loved his character. Um, of course, Julianne Moore here. We love to see her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, much utilize, better. Utilized much better in this. Than yeah, dialed back yes. uh, compared to Magnolia. Um, the main synopsis, since we have not talked about that at all, is that there is a kid who is 17 who... Uh, By the way, Marky Mark, don't buy it as 17 in this movie. No, no but sometimes sometimes there are like, you know, like football style kids who just like aged like crazy in high school. I kind of I kind of bought it a little bit. They did a pretty good job of making uh, all these people look young when they were young. Yeah, yeah. Hunter, I, I always so. like I, I, I imagine you in that role. <laughs> Like in high school, you were just kind of like a just you were just already like a, a little man, you know. Well, here's the thing: I don't have a 13 inch penis. That was I my next question for you. Penis. Yeah, I don't because um, I always had imagined your hog to be uncut and. I have a 13 a millimeter long. penis. Um, wow. so that's over a centimeter. Congrats. Yeah, I know. Good for me. Um, so this is a 17 year old Mark Wahlberg is this high school dropout who still starts out the film living with his parents and is trying to get it into movies. Uh, Because as he says very early on the film, everybody has one good thing, one thing that they're really good at, and that is their calling in life. And his thing is having sex with his Mm -hmm. 13-inch penis. He is just really just one of a kind when it comes to having sex. and then he meets the Burt Reynolds character who plays the director, and it kind of just all ramps up from there. The cast for this film is just unbelievable. Yeah, it's one of my favorite casts I've ever seen. So we we already mentioned Mark Wahlberg and, and Julianne Moore and Burt Reynolds. Then we got Don Cheadle, John C. Riley, mm-hmm. William H. Macy, mm-hmm. and, uh, two more from Magnolia right there, um, Heather Graham, uh, Nicole Ari Parker and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, there's the more too. There's Luis Guzman, who I absolutely love in this film as like the club owner character. Philip Baker Hall, um, who he actually he did Heart Eight with. He's the star of Heart Eight. I thought that uh, Robert Ridgely as the Colonel was actually pitch perfect. He didn't get a ton of screen time, but he was very funny. And then, uh, you know, it, yeah. there's a turn. But. And we'll we'll save it for spoilers. But Thomas Jane is oh, phenomenal in this movie to the point where, like, I wasn't sure if it was actually Thomas Jane because he looks like a completely different person yeah. than the other roles that I've seen him in, and. He, you don't see him much in the first half, and then he like really comes in the second he, half. Yeah, he's he plays a really good, like appropriately ramped up coke yeah, guy, like a wild card, <laughs> like a- like not like just on the verge of being too much for even for a movie coke guy, but just perfectly uh, insane. Yeah, 
There's a couple, there's one specific one that's a cameo that I definitely want to shout out. I, I consider a cameo because he's in one scene, but I like lost my mind whenever I saw him in this role, but I will save that for spoilers. Um, but overall, what did you guys think of oh, this movie? It, this is a phenomenal movie. Like it's pretty much perfect. I am having a hard time thinking of gripes or nits to pick or shortcomings or downfalls. I think as as i know it's not like his official debut but more or less as a as a debut it's as as good as it can possibly get like for a guy who would go on to make even better movies than this you know and what who was 27 when this came out on un fucking believable you know like clock's ticking for us guys we <laughs> yeah. have to put out like a really good podcast episode maybe this will be the podcast that with this will be our bookie nights i, th- I think nights it's already real. not <laughs> it's it's a movie that takes its time it's two and a half hours long and it doesn't rush anything you know it has this big sprawling cast but it still manages to focus on like the 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 protagonist and sort of the people that that are around him it um, sort of tricks you in the beginning too because it it was very funny that we watched magnolia first before this um, yeah. because magnolia is pr- maybe like an hour hour and a half of quiet desperation followed by another hour and a half of loud desperation um there you know there's the, there's almost no solace but it comes at the very end uh as opposed to this movie which starts a lot more traditionally um, even though we have like this sprawling ensemble, we it, we get a good chunk of the first portion, really the entirety of your average hero's journey. But what I almost forgot by about halfway through is that uh, PTA is the best at the darkness part of a hero's yes. journey. Like there is no one you in most movies you're like, okay, it's gonna get bad. Like I get it, you know, just get to the bad part because now I'm just dreading it. With this, I was looking for bad part because i know how good he is at it i know there's going to be a score choice that is going to blow my fucking brains out and there was the dread becomes part of the experience right he manages to make that dread an an entertaining factor in how you're watching the movie you know it's like you're you're the the looking forward part to it is intertwined with the dread because you're like you're prepping yourself for that turn and you're like, holy shit, like any minute now it's coming. And he knows that and he understands that and he builds up to it in a way that's so, so effective yeah, where like then, the, the structure is just a perfect peak. You know, yeah, you well, have- because also his, his tweak on that structure is that even in this movie, which is more traditional than Magnolia, it still lasts for like over an hour. <laughs> The, well, the yeah. badness. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing I was going to say. So the original cut of this movie is three and a half hours long. The original cut of this movie is Magnolia length. But since this was his first movie, he didn't have complete carte blanche. And they told him, you have to make this movie two and a half hours long. Yeah, and max. <laughs> I actually did. I had a little bit of extra time. I did watch a couple of deleted scenes. And they are incredible. But... I think that this is a better movie than Magnolia because the pacing works so much. It's funny that, I mean, I, of course I should say, I absolutely love, love, loved everything about this film. Um, It's funny that PTA actually, 
really has a lot of problems with his own movie this way because uh, his main reason is that he thinks that this movie wears all of its influences on its sleeve too much, which that is fair that, I mean, talked about that opening tracking shot. That is just straight up the Copacabana scene, but in a nightclub. Like that is just almost exactly straight out of Goodfellas. And not even just that, but also the way that he shifts between conversations in the same plot that have nothing to do with one another very classic scorsese the tracking shot behind two people like walking in a hallway or walking down a stairwell so scorsese and the third act is very tarantino who he actually really looked up to in the 90s and at that time knows well yeah well at that time he was not he had met tarantino once but he PTA grew up in the class immediately after Tarantino and everybody was comparing PTA to Tarantino and saying no filmmaker has had a breakout film like this since Tarantino did with Reservoir Dogs and then Pulp Fiction. So they were constantly getting compared to each other and then eventually they just decided to be like, hey, let's just meet and hang out and now we'll be friends with yeah, each let's other. Just like, let's just is, like split in a split in a There is one specific scene that without uh spoiling it it takes place in a bakery that would just fit right in in a tarantino scene in any kind of tarantino movie like it is almost just straight ripped from that and i don't think that that hurts the movie at all like i don't mind if you see something like that i don't mind when whether it's filmmakers or musicians where their influence is on their sleeve if they put their own twist on it and if it's great like i don't think that that's a bad thing i think that um I I adore Tarantino, but I think that Tarantino has a slight leg up on him when it comes to that because he's a little bit more restrained. He's a you little mean PTA? bit. You mean yeah, PTA? Sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah, PTA is a little bit more restrained. You don't, you don't use uh, Tarantino's name in restrained. In that <laughs> a lot. Yeah, unless PTA, you're talking about Jackie Brown. PTA is way more subdued than Quentin, and in this movie, for as uh sexual and and overt as it gets it never it never gets like uh it never oozes like any sort of like over stylization or anything like that and it it it, it doesn't aim to get the audience horny no that's what i was gonna say is for a movie that is based on sex workers there isn't it's not like arousing at any points there's one point that I kind of, well, there's a couple key moments in the film where it'll like start to show a sex scene between like, for example, um, Mark Wahlberg and Julian Moore's characters. And we like see just a little snippet of that. We see a little bit of Mark Wahlberg's white ass and then it just shows the camera and it shows it zooming in. And there's another point like where it's them and then it the camera flashes just, and it almost, it looks like pubic hair like when the camera flashes, it is like almost like a Freudian thing that I know for a fact that PTA just looked in up close to a camera flashing and was like, I have to put this in my movie. I think that's just, just you, Hunter. Maybe I'm learning more about myself. Yeah, Hunter's like, uh, yeah, there's this one moment that looked just like my dad's dick. It's weird. <laughs> I saw like, like Mark Wahlberg's penis looks a lot like my dad's. And I was like, dad, <laughs> is that you? Daddy? Daddy Wahlberg? Uh well that scene with uh, the the sex scene that you were just talking about uh that's a perfect example of like PTA 
uh, having like porn as or like filmmaking porn. Like the sex is not the porn. The movie making is the porn and the film stock is what's tantalizing and the lens. It's what's sensual, which, and this is another one of the biggest similarities between him and Tarantino. They both like jacking off about movies in the yeah, movies. Exactly. But th- this is done in a way that's completely different because Quentin does it with references and allusions and, and homages uh, this is just like, let's show the actual thing and let's hold on it and let's pause. Like there's certain moments in this movie, one that comes to mind when they're editing the movie and they're sitting in the editing room and the movie just like pauses for like maybe two minutes, if that, to just show these guys editing the movie. And it's like that almost, you could take that out of this movie and you would lose nothing you it's an inconsequential scene but pta wants to include it because it's part of the whole idea that he's trying to communicate about the, 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 the filmmaking process yeah it's the central it's not even really a metaphor because it's really like it's a comparison between one type of filmmaking and another so you could hardly even call it a metaphor it's just it's almost just like a one-to-one comparison um but yeah it's it's this movie is good for so many reasons that that self critique that you mentioned hunter is unbelievably common among any artists of any uh medium to dislike your early work because you find it derivative because you know that's what you do when you're young uh and yet this movie is for my money better than all of the movies that it is directly referencing uh, I prefer this to, for example, Goodfellas. Uh, I like, I truly do because it is a is an amalgamation of movies, just like Scorsese does. the The difference is, uh, Scorsese. If you ever watch him, he's an of absolute film dork as well. But he's just talking about films and referencing films in his films that we haven't seen because they're old as shit and really obscure. Yeah, that's like, a good point. I, I mean. Every artist is, is like, doing this. This is what art is. It's just, it's repurposing the same things because there are only so many things you can do with a medium. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you you are 100% right. Like, that's one thing that I've noticed, like, whenever I'm watching through, like, I'll be doing this whole Oscar watch there. I'm watching a movie from, like, the 1930s or the 1940s. I'm like, oh, man, that's, like, that's so Coppola or that's so Scorsese. I'm like, actually, no, that's so this guy because and then they ripped off this filmmaker at that time like that we just because it was in a time in which just we aren't as familiar with these movies because they're so old um i did want to i wrote down at one point because i burt reynolds is my mvp of the movie i'll just say it now i love everything about the jack horner character and before we get into spoilers i wrote down his speech that he has about making movies because I like, I found it like genuinely really compelling about making just pornos. As he said, I don't want to make a film where they show up, they sit down, they jack off, and then they get up and they get out before the story ends. It is my dream. It is my goal. It is my idea to make a film where the story just sucks them in. And when they spurt out that joy juice, they just got to sit in it. They can't move until they find out how the story ends. And that's, that's I, right away, I was like, oh, man, that comes in, like, 
15 minutes into the movie and I was like, oh yeah, no. The first act of this movie, I was like, is this my favorite movie of all time <laughs> right now? Like, I really, am I just this into everything that I'm seeing right now? I mean, yeah, it's a near be. perfect movie. Like, it really is just incredible. ETA um, wants to make his audiences absolutely splooge themselves. Well, the that thing, is. the the reason that I as of now, not being a PTA completionist yet, but the reason that I would put him above Tarantino in my personal rankings, one of a couple reasons is his comedy is better because it's it's not... Tarantino essentially took a dialogue that you would find in maybe a 90s sitcom, like a Seinfeld-style sitcom, and put it in these super stylized, violent films, and that was revolutionary, truly because it was a combination of things, you know, like I was just saying about, you know, art in general. It was a combination that we had never seen before and it proved to be a very colorful one. Uh, PTA, just, there's inherent comedy in everything he makes. In Magnolia, the, the desperation almost just overshadows a lot of the comedy that you would find. Like, you can see that really, really clearly in, I think, John C. Riley's characters in each movie, respectively. Because in Magnolia... The, the, he plays just insanely dumb guys in both movies. Just like really, really stupid dudes who are just trying to be. <laughs> and the difference is uh, their status level. Because PTA understands that a high status person, a successful person who is dumb as a box of rocks, is inherently just funny. And I can almost see like the blueprint for the movie Step Brothers in the relationship <laughs> yes. between Dirk and John C. Riley's Dude, character. the, the very recording, the the song recording scene. Oh that, man, that's, that. I was, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, and also the scene uh, where they're pitching uh, Brock Landers and Chess <laughs> Rockwell to to Burt Reynolds. Yeah, uh, that to me was just so unbelievably Step Brothers because uh, it is like this. This is a movie that like it recontextualizes so much art, and but also. I could see influence directly from this movie in so much newer art. Yeah, uh, I it, mean, was, it was a beautiful thing to see. I, I'm glad that you brought the humor because, like, this is definitely the funniest PTA movie. I think that all of PTA's movies do have some humor, but like, this has like some genuine like laugh out loud moments while you're watching it, like that aren't just because sometimes I going back to Tarantino. Sometimes Tarantino uses kind of the gore and kind of the over extravagantness of it all to create humor, which I do think is effective in a lot of his films. But I think that this just has genuinely funny writing. Like this has comedy writing in certain aspects, which yeah. ages even better because it's like these movies, these jokes that they're saying are 25 years old yeah, and like, they're not getting any older. Like it's well, not aging P at all. PTA, like, Phantom Thread is fucking hilarious. Yeah. Like he knows how to do it when he yeah. wants He's to. He's a funny guy. And I feel like this is one of those movies that changes genres. Like the first half is pretty much a comedy. It's a sexy sexual comedy, but it's 
really fun. No, it's very comedic. And another one of the main sources of the comedy, and the reason that Reynolds's monologue did not like emotionally resonate with me as much as it did comedically is that all of the porns that they're making are absolute dog shit quality. Uh, but just, I like, love it. I know that's the thing. Like it's it's a source of comedy, but also it proves just like how uh <laughs> you know elemental phases porn was back then. But yeah. every time they're actually making these films that are making them millionaires, you see them and it's just like the worst shit you've ever seen. Well, no, I and I think that that makes the Jack character even kind of more tragic of a character whenever they have that big like action movie porn hybrid that they create. Like Jack is just like, this is what I want to be remembered by. This is, this will be my masterpiece. And it looks horrible. Like the quality of it just looks terrible. It's all shot like outdoors. Mm-hmm. There's no lighting whatsoever. The the like, delivery. The delivery, the delivery of the lines is just really bad. The editing, but, the the timing of the cuts is very yeah. off. But it's like I think that that's what leads to him being even more of a tragic character is that he knows that this is the best that he can do. Um, one other thing, speaking of the comedy of this movie, everything, especially in the first two of three acts of this movie with roller girl is just absolutely perfect the first scene <laughs> where uh, they bring in uh dirk before he's actually dirk when he's just eddie um and he's like auditioning for bert and bert's just like smoking a black and mild and he's just like how's the roller girl right now roller girl just come on in here just go have sex with her and he's just like do you want to take off the skates and she plays a I've got a brand new pair of roller skates. You got a brand new key. And she's like, no, the roller skates stay on during sex. I was like dying. Like, I was like, I can't believe that this is a real movie right yeah. now. And she this only goes by Roller Girl. This. Even yeah, during serious scenes, girl. people are like, but Roller Girl. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It's so good. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and hop into, into right. spoiler territory. Um, before we, I also just wrote down a couple of my general favorite uh, lines in the movie, just to speak toward the pure comedy of this movie, though in spoilers, we'll get to the rest of it. Um, When Dirk is, is showing Julianne Moore, his new house and he's going to his room and he's just pointing at things and telling her what they are. And and it's like, it's shot very comedically. Like it's like hard cuts to each item and it cuts to the beanbag and he goes, that's a beanbag. And she goes, (laughs) you're kidding. Just a tiny little moment. Dude, and then dude, uh, Wahlberg is so good in this movie. Some of his delivery, there's like yeah. that one when he starts to freak out in front of Burt Reynolds and he's like, I'm a star. I'm a star. Yeah, he's, he, it's, there are a, a few, I think there are a handful of actors who somehow get comedy but have no self-awareness. And I think he's truly one of them. He, at, at once, he, he knows how to be funny, but how do you know how to be funny if you don't know like what you are? You know, it's so it's endlessly fascinating. This is this is the quote. You're not the boss of me, Jack. You're not the king of Dirk. I'm the boss of me. I'm the king of me. I'm Dirk Diggler. I'm the star. It's my big dick. And I say when we roll. <laughs> also, okay. <laughs> um, John C. Riley is a guy who I, I was going to say and I, is very self-aware. And he's I have incredibly four great. lines written down for John C. Yeah. Riley. They're all contenders for the best line. No, one, one of, of them favorite. for me, the only one I wrote down is really just his entire monologue when uh, Amber is interviewing him for her little TV special thing. <laughs> but in particular, the line where he's talking about violence, you know, and he's like trying to excuse it in their films. And he goes, uh, violence is bad thing. 
violence is bad. <laughs> There's That's another so moment in that same uh, sequence that I think uh, leans in more into like the dramatic side and less the comedic side but when he talks about like how he has something really special and people shouldn't feel jealous about him because he's just he's not trying to be selfish he's trying to do something powerful with his special talent that he was given and like you know obviously in the context of that movie that just like of the movie that kind of um outlines like some of the bad things that that happen but just that by itself is like damn, that's kind of a powerful thing, you know, to like call, call it out how it is and be like, I am not going to fucking quit my shit. And don't you judge me for it. I I have a big sweaty hog and you're going to like it. (laughs) I have a couple of more quotes uh, whenever we get into spoilers, but one of them is the first time that we meet John C. Riley, and he's just out there making a margarita for 17 year old Dirk uh, out there by the pool and everything. And he's just he like chugs. See, he chugs from the bottle. He chugs from the bottle. And he says, "You seen Star Wars?" He's just like, "Yeah, I saw it like four times." Because people tell me I look like Han Solo. Yes. My first thought was like, "Huh? He kind of does." <laughs> now that I now that I think about it, um, let's now go I want to see that because there's one for sure line that I don't even know. It's not even really a spoiler, but I just want to save it for whenever we get into it and talk more about the pool scene. Yeah. I, I mean, like, hands in the air, praise be to Paul Thomas Anderson. Fine, Massive it's not, recommend. We should say it's not on streaming like Netflix just, is. You can rent I paid, it. I paid $3 yeah. for it. And yeah, that was unfortunately, like you'll have to pay 3 bucks to see one of the best movies ever made. Yeah, I went I ahead really and bought it. it. I'm just gonna go ahead and buy the Blu-ray as soon as I get a chance. Uh, I, is it is it a Criterion? No, it's not. No, it's, it's not, not in the Criterion collection. Um, it should be. Um, I I went ahead and bought it because they they had it on sale uh, one time, and I I got it for like five bucks or something as a digital download. Um, so go ahead and see it. If you have seen it, then stick around. If not, highly recommend it. There's some things that happen in this movie that. I don't want you to be spoiled. Um, So this is your last warning. Spoils for Boogie Nights right now. So I think that this is the greatest uh, pool scene ever made in film. Just everything, like, I've never been more captivated by any 15 minutes in any movie. One scene in particular? No, just like everything, like in that first pool scene that we have. Oh, gotcha! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that is just incredible when they come in. um, When uh, our guy uh, Colonel comes in and uh, finds the girl is just ODing, which I shout out to that guy. I have no idea who that actor is. I've never seen him before in my life. But some incredible overacting by that guy. Oh yeah, his whole exchange. He says. This is twice in two days. Chick has OD'd on me. The guy says, <laughs> "That was great." Do you think maybe this means you ought to look at getting some new shit? What do you say? The, the, yeah, the colonel is pitch fucking perfect. I'm telling you guys, he, some of the best line delivery in the entire movie. Yeah, comes he from he absolutely won that scene at the very least. But also, yeah, that overacting guy. Also, the girl starts having a seizure on him, and he's like, <laughs> "Oh man, she's freaking out." <laughs> and now that we're in spoilers, we can say this motherfucker. 
goes to fucking prison for kitty porn. And that at that point in the movie, that's when like shit's already starting to hit the fan. And that's when like it all starts to sort of unravel and tumble down. So we haven't talked about it yet, but my favorite thing about this movie is every single person gets their comeuppance in some kind of way, shape or form. Like every single person in this film, it's like every loose end is tied up in some way or another, including the Colonel, who's a producer for porn, who goes out and goes after, I mean, Dirk is 17 whenever they originally start putting him in these movies. They know what they're doing. So obviously they have an affinity towards younger people, usually leads to at least somebody involved in their being a pedophile in some kind of way, shape, or form. But the person who actually sparks all of this and starts the new decade with everything is my guy, William H. Macy, who we haven't talked enough about yet. One of the best casting choices that I've ever seen in yeah. my life because William H. Macy looks like the biggest dweeb ever with his well, mustache and his bullet. He is He just gets cut. <laughs> well, not even, he's like an unwilling cuck. So it's yeah. not even cuck isn't even the right word. It's, yeah, it's because uh, it, it, a cuck implies like it's like consensual, like you're like you um, want it. So which is the sadder character, him and this or him and Magnolia? Because oh, you want to say this because he blows his fucking brains out. Yeah. Uh, but in Magnolia, there's just more. There's more desperation in that character. Like he just is so. Like, there's no way, like, you almost want that guy to blow his brains out in Magnolia. He, he also, I feel like he also gets more screen time in Magnolia than in Oh, this. a whole lot more. Yeah. yeah he, he, he only gets a couple scenes in this, but. His name is Lil Bill. That just, <laughs> that just tells you all that you need to know about that character. Is he's just a guy who just keeps walking out his wife, getting fucked by other people. And. His wife just doesn't give a shit about him. And that one scene where Julianne Moore gives Mark Wahlberg coke for the first time, and then also William H. Macy, like, murder-suicides his wife and himself in the same scene is... That just starts the entire... Exactly. And that that's another huge long take. So, obviously, this movie famously opens with a long take in the Bookie Nights Club um, that just sets up all the characters. It's like perfect table setting, that opening scene. And then we get another long take in the midpoint that telegraphs the turning point, right? And I think that's one of the genius parts of this movie is that we spend the entire first half of the movie on this buildup, this uphill roller coaster climb that is just all sex and fun and laughs and just partying good times sunshine the 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 movie even looks golden and bright and vibrant and then we get this new year's party with this long take sequence that culminates in the murder suicide and then the movie completely changes and it is one of the best genre tone mood pivots I've ever seen in any movie. It is incredible because from then that point on, the movie loses all of that vibrancy and, and color and, you know, spark of joy. It, from that moment on, it is all 
kind of more dramatic, dour consequences of of the of the drugs and the violence. Um, and it's a turning point too in just society in general because it's the '80s. You know, it's the it's the beginning of a new era. So I think that that's kind of like a thing that uh, PTA is really fixated on in this movie is like showing change and not just change in people, but change in culture and change in society and humanity. And for a movie about porn, the the fact that it's able to to land that and communicate that I think is incredible. And it honestly made me think a lot about The Deuce, um, which is not a show that a lot of people have watched, but I highly, highly recommend it on HBO. Uh, Obviously that show is set in New York and tells the story of a very specific area in New York but it's about the same sort of time period as this and the same like types of people. It's also about porn. Yeah, it's the genesis of pornography. Yeah, so it, it explores a lot of the same themes um, in, in very similar ways. But I think that this movie, it, it's able to do a lot of the same things that The Deuce did over the course of three seasons in two and a half hours in a way that feels like so tight and also like, like I said at the beginning, it's just slow. Like this movie just takes its time. That climb to that peak, to that turning point, it's so deliberate. Like I, I'm so glad that this movie is a little bit of a longer boy because it just makes all those things just land with more weight. I mean, you talked about those themes, but one of the things that stuck out to me, the like one of the main things that stuck out to me revisiting this in 2020 is that this is everything that they're talking about, about the porn industry, how it's moving from uh, pornographic theaters exclusively to just home video is really sounds a lot like movies that are shifting from opening up all their movies in theaters to just coming oh, yeah. out straight on Netflix and everything else. And I thought that that was like, one of the things that really hit me, like, wow, man, this movie is aging beautifully. I know that this was not intended in 1997 when this didn't exist. Mm-hmm. But, it, I mean, I think that PTA even knew, I mean, of course, porn theaters didn't exist in the late 90s, at least not <laughs> widely, um, if at all. But I think that PTA knew more, he saw the home experience for film really coming, even if he was more talking about people picking up DVDs from a blockbuster or something like that, as opposed to going out and seeing it in a theater. But it's just aged even better now that people can just see new movies from home. Um, One other thing uh, that I wanted to say, we haven't really talked much about... uh, homosexual Chad Seymour Hoffman character. What do we think about uh, our boy PSH in this film? He's always great. Like every time he's in anything, I'm just so sad that he's no longer with us because he was so, so incredibly talented. Such range. My God, did this guy have range. And, you know, speaking to the point earlier about like how um, some of the characters in this movie are kind of stupid, like you can kind of point to each one of these people and find like an aspect of them that kind of makes you think like they're a little bit of a, a little bit of a dum-dum, you know, like Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. He kind of seems a little bit slow. John C. Riley, he is a little bit dumb. And even Mark Wahlberg, 
No, oh, they're yeah. all, I mean, no, they're mostly like stupid as shit. Yeah. Like Dude. when when Mark Wahlberg's mom is like kicking him out of the house essentially, and she's screaming at him, like telling him like how kind of a, a, a failure he is. I was like, which was she's like generally wrong. A, it was generally a bit weird. Like you, you, you know, we never quite find out the motives of that. So I feel like that is, they said that this review is originally three and a half hours. I feel like that was a lot that got cut out right there. Um, the, the, the backstory, the before yeah, the, joining the, the home the, story. Because, the mom and also the dad too. I think that it, they do enough though, between just that one breakfast scene and that one scene to show like they have a very unhappy marriage and the mom is taking out all of her frustrations on her son. Um, Joanna Gleason, who's actually a really good actress, like I really, really like her a lot, but just shows up for two scenes of the movie. You could call it overacting in those scenes just because there isn't the groundwork. No, there yeah, that's the thing it. is, it's not, it's just like the women in Magnolia. It's not overacting, exactly. it's, it's, yeah, it's underwriting. Sort of, yeah, but I, I still think that she was actually great in that in that one main scene where she's kicking out Dirk from the house like I really really love that if anything I almost wanted to see the parents like for it to cut to them later on in the film after he has now Eddie now Dirk Diggler has like kind of made himself yeah never hear from them again it was uh but it does very you know expertly set up and i i fully believe the idea that like there were scenes that were cut of these parents because especially the dad has almost zero lines total so you but i did i was waiting i was trying to pull it up here because you were talking about dirk diggler is us uh kind of stupid um his line that he has about napoleon in the roman (laughs) empire during the interview he says what can you expect when you're on top, you know? It's like Napoleon, when he was the king, you know, people were just constantly trying to conquer him, you know, in the Roman Empire. Oh. So it's repeating itself all over again. That is the most nothing <laughs> paragraph that I've ever read in my life. None of those things are connected to each other at all. Yeah, you're like, and this I guy love- definitely flunked out of high school. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, he he's a dumb shit. Like she's correct, but the the little of his relationship with both of his parents that we see does very very well set up this unbelievably weird Oedipal relationship between Dirk and Amber, and then obviously oh, the the, yes. the paternal relationship so with fucked. him and Burt Reynolds, but especially the relationship with him and Amber, in which she is at once his mom and uh, his GF is really so unsettling really a lot to chew on there <laughs> he's fucking I, his mom <laughs> another thing that i really love about pta is he is uh not spoon feeding you like you know the basis in like mythology or whatever right he's not he's not insisting upon an answer he's just showing you something and give and making you feel a feeling and saying damn wasn't that fucked uh yeah. and I, I i like it when filmmakers do and, that's, and not, the, that's movie- the thing i like about tarantino for example the movie rides this line where it has to show you what types of things in your life lead you to taking up uh, pornography as the thing you do in life, but also not like stigmatizing these yeah. people and dehumanizing them and painting them as, as lesser. And, and that's really tough to do. And that's something that I admired so much from the deuce, but obviously the deuce has more time to do that. 
and and you get to like really develop those arcs over way way longer but i found it so impressive in this movie even with the huge cast of characters that he chooses to to spend time with that it's very little of it feels thin and underdeveloped it all feels very real and and lived in and all of these people feel like like real people and you know not like caricatures or or you know broad representations of what we think pornographers are like so exactly to that point is i think why i think the the two the the double um that one shot or i guess it's the scene the sequence where we have roller girl in the car and then also dirk in the car and it's cuts back and forth between the two of them is yeah. might be my favorite sequence in the entire movie Which, because it says exactly what you're saying where it doesn't want you to stigmatize porn workers because they're not just like fucking whores and all this stuff this is how they make a living but also it shows where it can go bad especially if you get caught up in the drugs and in yes. kind of the glamorizing of it all and then you lose that that's why did, I think that one sequence is did uh, did PTA predict the bang bus? Bang bus. He he what might have. Bang he bus? might have been ahead. Of oh, the Ernie, you pure soul. Come on. <laughs> Should I have up. not just typed this into Google? Am I no, gonna get? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh no. Yeah, no, oh. my, my guy Jack was ahead of the curve on that one. He's just like, hey, girl, just picks up random person, except it's not scripted at yeah, all. Yeah, it was actually a random guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, Shout no. out to uh, that guy. Another uh, like heat check award by that dude. He's in two scenes, the first of which is when he's in the classroom with Roller Girl, and he's just going like, uh, uh, like the tongue to cheek. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, he's the reason until now. He's the reason she drops out of school, essentially. And then, yeah, he is also uh, her, the, her darkest hour of her pornography career. Um, that, that sequence in general, which is, you know, that is PTA at his absolute best. I'm convinced. It's so there, uncomfortable. There's a, well, uh, if you think about it in terms of Magnolia, there's about an hour and a half of Magnolia where the exact same thing's happening because there's also this incredibly simple, but super effective dark score playing during this intercut yeah. between these two sequences. And in Magnolia, that entire like hour or so when the violins are playing and we're going to every single narrative and in every narrative, everyone is melting down. It was the exact same feeling. Like yeah. it's just an unbelievably effective technique that he uses. And it hits so well because of that first half that's so like snazzy and like fun. And it's just all soundtrack by like 70s pop music. And then once you get to that second half, that's all dramatic you still have a couple of needle drops here and there, but most of all is this more sort of brooding score um, that was not really in the first half of the movie at all. And, and it just becomes that much more effective and prevalent. Uh, speaking of the music real quick though, I, I just wanted to shout out that there's a moment, going back to William H. Macy, there's a moment where um, in that kind of pool party scene where he sees that his wife is being like ogled as she's fucking somebody in the driveway. And the song that plays is Elvin Bishop's Fold Around and Fell in Love. Yeah. And that song is also in Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> and 
now, you know, obviously Boogie Nights came out like almost a decade, way more than a decade, 15 years before, uh, or I guess almost 20 years before Guardians of the Galaxy. And now it's like James Gunn is like trying to recontextualize that needle drop in his movie about fun, like space people. But now whenever I hear that song, I'm going to think about William H. Macy getting cucked in the porn <laughs> house. Uh, and, and that juxtaposition is, is just crazy, especially when you consider um, the Alfred Molina scene with the mixtape that literally says awesome mix tape on the fucking cassette. Just like in Guardians of the Galaxy. That's, man, what an incredible, like, Easter egg type <laughs> thing in there for Guardians of the Galaxy that I never would have caught before. Dude, that, so I didn't even want to say Alfred Molina before because as soon as I saw it, I was like, is that fucking Alfred Mol- Is that Doc Ock in the scene right now? Like, and I started losing my mind. As far as just a scene in one room, that is just one of, like, the best yeah. that I've see in my life i mean if 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 there's was ever a a a Dion waiters heat check award of he's in one scene like he is in one fucking scene of this movie and my guy rahad jackson is just on another level and then also todd uh thomas jane yes like he everything about that scene is so good between the guy just like throwing the firecrackers and then the transition <laughs> every goes, fucking 12 seconds of fucking it goes fire from crack. sister christian to jesse's girl to 99 loof balloons just an incredible early 80s music uh so check right there. i wanted i wanted to ask you guys something about that scene so when jesse's girl comes on the 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 camera like lingers on mark Wahlberg's face for a really long time and all of the yeah. audio is drowned out except for that song. And he looks completely spaced out. I, I wonder what you guys think of that because I was like, my mind was going a million directions during that shot. And the main uh, conclusion I came to is uh, Dirk is like realizing like, where the hell did my life go? To exactly. get to yeah, that's movie. that's what it was. It was a dark night of the soul moment because he was not fucked up uh, during that moment, which typically you would assume, especially in a movie like this, like that would be the moment where he like passes out from coke or whatever. Yeah. But he was very like uh, notably in that scene, not fucked up, I'm pretty sure. And so, uh, yeah, that was the moment of, and and he looks just awful too. Yeah, like, very, very intentionally, he looks worse than he does in any other scene. Well, except the whole, for when he gets the shit beat out of him before that. The whole second half of the movie, he looks like really sweaty and like just not okay. You know, in the first half, he looks ripped. He looks glowing. He is hot and desirable and then that that turn happens and then he just looked like every scene of him i'm like dude are you are you okay right now yeah. like no well, after in that one scene where he flips on jack like he looks 
like a meth head. Like yeah. he is like he's scrawny or like he has lost muscle mass. I don't know if he actually did something during the making of this movie or if it's just all makeup and effects and stuff that they did with him, but it really is like jarring watching that. Uh which leads me to one of the things that this movie handles best, probably because the people who are making it were actually on these drugs <laughs> while they were making it. This is some of the best use of drugs in movies that I've ever seen before, as far as realistic drugs. The consequences like, of one it. of my one of the things that makes me laugh all the time is in every Scorsese movie when somebody does, co- does cocaine, they throw their head back, and it's like nobody does that. You're so, <laughs> just throw it on your face. I don't know from personal experience. Just have to clarify that for the podcast. Um, but the <laughs> my favorite coke conversation of all time comes Julianne between Moore. Amber and Roller Girl, and they're in the room, and they just go through. You see this mountain of cocaine. It keeps going back. It keeps getting lower and lower until they're like snorting off remnants from the mirror that's left on there. And I'm just like, I need to go get custody of my kid. I need to go get my kid. And so I was just like. I need to go get my GED. I need to get my GED. And, and they're like, I don't want to leave this room. Roller Girl's just like, I want to walk. I just want to go. I want to walk somewhere right now. We gotta go. And Laura's like, I don't want to leave this room ever. Can I call she's you like, mom? Me neither. And then can, she's like, can I call you mom? Will you be my mother? So, Everything about that is like so like wired. Like I felt like I had just done some kind of amphetamine because yeah. I was just like shaking watching it for them. Yeah. So that yeah, that's part of the general shift in tone is the the writing becomes a lot more realistic about like what these drugs do to you. And, and the look also, the look of the movie no, too. No, that's what I was going to say. It's like uh you were talking about Dirk Diggler and how like we were saying how shitty he looks in general the lighting becomes uh, a lot more white and a lot less warm. Very stark, less yellow. Blues, yeah, it, yeah it's blues. just like sharp light on these people. And one shot in particular, I, I lo- it's maybe one of my, it might be my favorite shot in the whole movie. Uh, it's during the, the van sequence where they like pick up the guy and they're fucking. Uh, because there are layers there because Burt Reynolds, like they are filming it with the video camera. And for a large portion of the scene, we're watching what's happening in the backseat through the video camera that they're filming. But then at one point it switches back to like the movie's camera, but it keeps the video cameras flash on them. So you're seeing them in this super stark lighting, but in high quality camera. Yeah. And it could not look fucking worse. Yeah, it is very off-putting. It's like a crime scene. Like, it's very disconcerting to look at. And it's during the worst moment of the whole movie. Because she's freaking out. She's like having a really terrible moment and you're right there with her. I mean, during yeah, that moment, brilliant. that is like truly just, it's so viscerally upsetting that entire sequence because we have like, what is, honestly, if there weren't more people there, what would have just been a rape, like yeah. just straight up just would have been a rape of this woman unless they came in there and stopped them. And then that leads to them like curb stopping this dude almost to death. He might've died. We don't know what happened to him. And at the same time- Doesn't she scream, I hope you die as they drive away? Yeah. Like she, like really just really dark on that sideline or on that line. And then on the other side, we have Dirk who is so desperate for drugs, despite like having all this shit already happened to him, losing all the money they has- We'll get to the recording stuff in a second because my God, is that incredible? But um, 
him being at this new low where he's just like, I will like jack off for other men or I'll do whatever other men want in order to get money so I can get a fix. And that leads to him. It's all just a setup to like beat up homosexuals and everything is really upsetting. And like, I was worried for Dirk. Like I was like, Oh my God, are they going to beat him to death right now? Like this is, really troubling because i mean especially this is filmed in the 90s where it was still bad but especially in the 80s like maybe if they were all wearing during, roller skates this they is during really i mean up. whenever you think about what's happening right now like this is kind of in the beginning of like the aids crisis and everything where like there was real real rampant homophobia in america and like just the idea of somebody i mean he's not even necessarily a homosexual like he couldn't get hard or anything which not saying that's directly connected to it but I, just the Might fact the that he was willing, just the fact that he was willing to do that and almost get beaten to death for it is incredible. To backtrack a little bit, let's talk about uh, Marky Mark's comeback, the musician Marky Mark. Dude. Um, <laughs> I'm glad they didn't cut that out of the movie because that was God amazing. We needed some humor in that third act, and that yeah. did, did that just, deliver. Just the worst shit you've ever heard in your life. And also, <laughs> I don't know if you guys noticed, but John C. Riley is actually playing that guitar. He's actually yes. playing those yeah. chords correctly because you can hear it. He kind of fucks up at one point, <laughs> like yeah, and it's like a little bit out of tune. Just everything about that was perfect. You know the 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 recording engineer that's like so fucking annoyed because his singing is just awful i <laughs> love it you can't fix it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh i want to i want to go back to the julianne moore scene uh just for a second because um when i was talking about how i feel like there is a very blurred line in where the real coke use is and the simulated coke use is in the making of this movie that's really the the scene that was making me uh, guess because those two actresses during that scene looked hella on coke, and I I don't I don't want to assume that they were literally on coke while they were shooting, but if they weren't, that is some of the best acting I've ever seen in my life. And, and obviously, uh, it likely like, could be because Julianne Moore is one of the best actresses of our right, lifetime. right. And obviously, it's it's also due to the you know the the makeup and what? the the cinematography and lighting and all of that. But when I was when I was watching that scene, I was like really really affected, and, and I just thought like this is some of the most real shit I've ever seen. They, they, the, the veins on their forehead, the, the redness in their, in their cheeks. I was just like really, really shocked. I mean, also I, not just Julianne Moore, but I think Heather Graham is like just going right back with her. Like yeah. they, they, I don't think that either of them own that scene. No, well, I mean, Heather Graham like, is, is deserved Heather, a much better career than she's gotten. No, exactly. That's what I was going to say is that Heather Graham, like, is a big, like, what should have been for her career. I mean, she was in Twin Peaks and everything. And, uh, of course, I mean, she had a short stint on Scrubs as far as, like, the her 2000s work goes. But she was in, like, Austin Powers in the 90s. She was in Swingers. Like hangover. Yeah, hangover as like a literally just a complete nothing role. Um, but I think that she is absolutely incredible in that scene and throughout this entire movie. Uh, a couple other people who we haven't talked about enough. Don Cheadle. Um, Don Cheadle is just 
he kind of plays John C. Riley in Magnolia's role, where you're just rooting for him the whole time. When he the bakery be, scene, he wants to be normal so bad. When the bakery <laughs> scene happens, like I was so worried. I was yeah. as soon as because it was coming. It's immediately after that double car scene. I was like, no, Don Cheadle, and he has the pregnant wife in the car. I was like, oh god damn it! Now Don Cheadle is gonna die. He's done nothing to deserve this. <laughs> he's just a black dude who likes to listen to country music, and now he's gonna. I, yeah, he wants to start his own business. Yeah, him and his wife are truly kind-hearted. They're some of the only good people in this, aside from Julianne Moore and uh, Heather Graham are also good people, I feel. Um, but yeah, no, he you're so right that he's the John C. Riley role. He just it wants to be aggressively normal, and he's pretty dumb, and he's just trying his best to live a life, and he just can't make it happen uh, until, uh, speaking of Tarantino scenes, this shootout, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's that that's what I was as soon as I saw that and then that that scene directly leads into the scene with um uh Alfred Molina is just the most Tarantino shit that I've ever seen in a PTA film. Like that whole sequence is so Tarantino where it's like the shooting and then I shoot and then you shoot and then, and then there's like everyone's dead except for one guy who's just like looking around like what do I do? One quick uh if I'm going to pick a nit with this movie how much fucking money does just a bakery have at like the middle of the night that's enough to open up a stereo store? Is there like a hundred grand just in the safe of no, this that, bakery? So that's what? that's that's a good knit. My knit is the gunshots in this movie suck. The sound effects really piss poor sound effects. I was shocked. Yeah, that's fair. There's only a couple of them. Honestly, the firecracker sound effect is a better sound effect than the gunshot sound yeah, effect. Yeah, the guns just, just it's, the gunshots sound like old western guns. Like it's like really pew Paul? pew. So yeah. huge stars. huge shout out to my guy sitting in the booth with the red hat on coming in to save the the the, that the dude one def- black man he definitely voted for Trump, but thank <laughs> thank that guy for he was just like not in my country. I'm a yeah. you got a gun, I got a gun too. He died for Cheadle's stereo business. <laughs> Hell yes. Hell yes. I do I absolutely love the uh his ad that he shoots for him. Yeah. He's just like word. That kind of made <laughs> me like, sad because I was like, he's having to compromise, he's having to like lean into racial stereotypes to like have a successful business and i was but like that capitalism early, fucking sucks, early on man. the movie where he's just like yo hear the bass on the speaker and he plays like fucking chicken picking <laughs> yeah. that has no bass at all that one, yeah that was so funny. it's so funny um one other just great guy in this movie is luis guzman yeah um i just love luis guzman anything we talked about him on the community episode uh and that one that one episode that he's in where they build the statue for him for the apocalypse. Yeah. The, our favorite episode of community. He is, he's just great in everything. I just love how he's just like, can you please put me in your porn so I can tell my friends and my family that like I had sex <laughs> I made with it. women. And then he renames, it. he renames the boogie nights club to the Rodriguez brothers <laughs> nightclub. So funny. So funny. Um, so we got we to gotta wrap up, but I wanted to do one quick uh, last shout out to Philip Seymour Hoffman. I, I forgot to mention the scene where he kisses Mark Wahlberg um, oh. in front of the car. That comes right before the movie turns. And mm-hmm. that is like the tee off to the turn. Because 
that made my heart sink so hard when he makes the move to kiss him and he's so distraught uh, when he, you know, it just goes terribly wrong, obviously. And he's just sitting in his car being like, oh, fucking idiot, fucking idiot. And that, you know, after this buildup of like so many good things happening, winning the Golden Phallus Awards and amazing money and 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 winnings and success. Yeah, but then and he, you does, know he the, does coke right before that. Mark Wahlberg does. And you're like, oh, here we go. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes, you're right. You're right. And Thomas Jane is introduced right there. And you're like, yes, guy. And so you're like, okay, here, it's, it's going to happen here. Hey, yeah. uh, another life lesson, uh, if I've learned anything from just television and movies, is never trust a guy named Todd, um, mm-hmm. just ever. And like, yeah. don't, don't trust a Todd. And if, if you're wearing Todd's who are listeners out there, I'm sorry, but I don't trust you until I If you're it. wearing a leather jacket in a movie set in the 1980s, you're going to fuck some shit up. Yeah. Um, so two more of my favorite lines in the movie that I did write down. Um, we didn't talk at all about Philip Baker Hall because he's really only another like Magnolia, another Magnolia guy. And he's also in heart eight. Uh, he's the star of heart eight actually. But, um, his first scene where he's introduced and he's talking about, um, he's talking, he's trying to pitch the Jack Horner character on kind of pivoting to making like movies straight to home. Um, and he says, look, I'm a simple guy. I like simple pleasures like butter in my ass and a lollipop in my mouth. Call me a pervert. Call me a pedophile. <laughs> really incredible work by Philip Baker Hall. And uh, one of the best lines of the movie is from uh, Jack, from Burt Reynolds. You know, if it looks like shit and it sounds like shit, that's just shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, a couple, a couple other last things. I, I love the, uh, the costume design in this movie. I think it's all amazing. Uh, some really, really cool, like, 70s era, uh, 80s era shit. Philip Seymour Hoffman's outfits are out of this world. Yeah. When he's trying to fit into the outfit that both uh, that Mark Wahlberg and John yeah, C. Riley are wearing like, oh. in the store. Just generally, he's wearing short shorts and these skinny tank tops and his fucking stupid hair. Just beautiful. I love it. And, uh, again, I, I think we already mentioned this, but, like, the, the, the kind of era-accurate, like, shots of what they're actually filming you know the porn itself but also like all the other stuff like the the action sequences and shit i love all of that um just just amazing amazing work all around in terms of production value um do we want to uh make sure we say who our favorite characters are i know hunter you said burt reynolds drew did you say yours um, it hardly even matters to me. This is, you know, much like Magnolia, this is, uh, everyone is a part of such a grand, like, uh, I don't even know the word. PTA, PTA would be your MVP then. He's, he's my favorite character in the movie. <laughs> I, I'm, I feel like I might pick Thomas Jane just for fuck's sake because. Todd does own the scenes that he in. comes in oh and he like absolutely fuck shit up in this movie he wrecks like everybody's lives even though like in the end when the movie concludes it's like yeah things did go horribly wrong but it's not like everybody's in is dead in a ditch i think my 
I, I thought of my favorite character. Go ahead. Uh, it's Julianne Moore. Oh, she, yeah. Great choice. Yeah, she, she's fucking stunning, and she has uh, purity in her heart, but also is so incredibly deeply flawed. Uh, yeah, and she's also one of, like, the five best living actresses. Oh, yeah, like, all-time... This might be her best performance. Yeah, all-time great performance from her. She was nominated for an Oscar for this performance. Uh, this movie was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay and Best Actor Burt Reynolds. He won supporting for, actor. Oh, supporting actor. Sorry. He lost to uh, Robin Williams for Goodwill Hunting. Ah, shit. This movie is better than Goodwill Hunting in every conceivable. No one is saying that it's not Hunters. <laughs> Get over it. Okay, here I am. I'm just a guy trying to tell a movie that it's uh, Do You Like the Apples? Um, Jesus Christ. Question, we... uh, how do we think that uh, Reed Rothschild, a.k.a. John C. Riley, how do we think that his magic career ended? After oh, that? I forgot. Think... That was so funny. He how like... do, we, do, you, do we think that he's still practicing magic if we go to the greater Los Angeles area right now? Or I what? hope so. I yeah, hope I so. Think, Maybe he's I... one of the old masters at this point. Yeah. I, no, I don't think he ever became a master. I think he's probably pulling down total like 50K a year uh, just doing like nightly gig work. And you oh. know what? We respect it. Maybe yeah. do it a little, a little like amateur porn on the side, like old yeah. man porn. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. <laughs> He's I not getting paid that. for it anymore. Um, I mean, okay. I, I do really love one last thing about this movie is like that. I think that one thing about this movie that has aged the best is like, don't look down on people for their professions whether right. it's that they work in pornography, whether it's that they're, it's kind of the same thing that is the central message of hustlers in a similar way of like people that always stigmatized uh, like uh, people who are strippers and stuff like that and look down upon this type of profession. Don't look at it. It's just people that are getting a job and I just don't, they're making more money than you. So yeah, well, hell yeah, they are. Shut the fuck up. Also, also just the same with Magnolia. Sometimes the feckless pursuit of a quote unquote normal life is a lot more noble than the power driven pursuit of money. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Ain't it the truth? Where do you, where do you guys think this would fall in your PTA rank filmography rank? I got to see it again um to to definitively rank it but i mean this is hard to beat in general for any uh film so it's up there i i bad, think, i'd say three yeah yeah me too yeah because right behind I, the master and there will be blood these yes, are three exactly. what i would call perfect films though so but he went on to make like truly transcendental shit like this movie is incredible but the master and there will be blood are like just on another level. He, the, the art form, he's able to elevate the art form in so many ways with his later work. Um, I, I, I guess I got to see hard eight to complete the, the, the full watch through maybe, Hey, maybe we can do a review of a uh, punch drunk love. I you guys still are down for that. Punch drunk love. Punch drunk great love movie. and inherent vice are my only, uh, my only blind spots at this point. So In Inherent Vice is one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen in my life. It's PTA, so it's good, but it's it's one of it's a movie that like makes you feel like you're in a daze. It's like you can't even follow it. So 
I don't know. Listen, I'd be PTA, interested to revisit PTA it. is now one of the few people who I will like follow off the face of this earth. Uh, I will do anything that this man does. Um, I just actually, I just watched uh, um, Anamina or uh, Anamina or what is it called? Uh, Anima. 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 That's what yeah, it is. One the little of short, words. the short film on one Netflix. of those A words. I just rewatched that actually, uh, like a week or two ago, and I don't like. It's not. I mean, it's fifteen minutes long of radio uh, head stuff, so it's it's fine. Of Tom York stuff. Yeah, Tom York but, solo. Um, and it's fine, but the filmmaking in that is just absolutely incredible. Like PTA is really trying hard to like come up on my spot as like just my favorite director of all time. Yeah. I think we should, we should slot another PTA in our, in our schedule for the next couple, couple weeks. So we can continue filling out the, the filmography because all of his movies are incredible. Before we go, I can't forget to ask, what did you guys think of the schlong reveal at the end? of Marky Mark's big old dingling. Um, I, I respect it oh so very much because you know why? Because it was flaccid. <laughs> yes. And it was, it was that goddamn big. It was huge. So you can just, I mean, because that's one of my other favorite things about the movie is like even the dudes while they're filming are like, looking around like they're like, oh my God. They're like mother what? of God. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I love that that's his thing. It's like, it's kind of heartbreaking, but he's just like, everybody has one thing that they're good at and I just have a huge dick. This is my gift to the earth is yeah. that I just, my penis is huge. Apparently, uh, I don't, I know that that is like a big like prop prize item. Yeah. Like There's like, I don't know if Marky Mark Oh, you're telling me that answer. Mark Wahlberg doesn't have a 13-inch cock? No, Mark Wahlberg <laughs> has a <laughs> tiny fucking dick. I no, promise I'm just, I, No, I'm saying I can't remember if it's Wahlberg that has it or PTA that has it. I feel like Wahlberg probably was just like, I can be in this movie, but I got to keep that down. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got to just throw that bad boy on when they want to hear about my fourth uh, Boston bombing movie that I'm making. I mean... Mark Wahlberg, like he's such an easy punching bag, but it's kind of perfect casting in this movie. It works, <laughs> and even when you see that giant schlong, like he you also buy it. Ma- he also though has made a punching bag out of uh, minorities in the hate crimes that he committed. So, uh, you know, he's a real mixed bag of an actor. He's you really know, done a lot of a course of his career. Here's a fun fact for you guys. Did you know that if you really like, if you have like a nice widescreen TV, I highly recommend this. If you watch uh, Transformers The Last Night and you hyper zoom in on that crotch of Mark Wahlberg, you can see he's still wearing that prosthetic uh, penis on his dong to this day. (laughs) And with that, we'll leave you till next time. So thank you for listening. Um, Please rate and review and recommend it to your friends. Also, uh, listen to our catch-up. Uh, follow us on Twitter at We Bought a Mic and Letterbox. Email us at WeBoughtAMic at gmail.com. Uh, also, you can donate and leave a voicemail at anchor.fm slash WeBoughtAMic. And we'll be back next week with another great episode. Stick around. Bye-bye. Mark Wahlberg Bye. has a tiny penis. <laughs>